Hello and welcome to the Marlborough Book Festival podcast, the place where you can hear writers talk about their work, their lives and the inspiration behind their writing. I'm Sonia, one of the founders of the festival, and today I'm delighted to be introducing the inspiring Becky Manawatu. What's it like when your first published novel wins big awards and receives rave reviews? Owe, Becky Manawatu's story of good kids and grim circumstances set just down the road in Kaikoura, has won a place in the hearts of her many readers. The conversation was recorded at the 2021 Marlborough Book Festival, an annual weekend of wonderful writers and curious audiences in beautiful Marlborough. We're currently working on plans for this year's festival, and we're excited to share more details with you very soon. For now, please enjoy Becky Manuatu speaking to Jane Forrest Waghorn. Kia ora, atamarie, on a beautiful Marlborough morning. Um, I am very proud to be here and to be uh, sitting beside Becky Manuatu um, at is a privilege for me as a Pākehā woman and an older one to be sitting beside this young woman of such talent telling such beautiful stories. Um, and what's more, I feel as though we can almost claim her because she's a South Islander. <laughs> she's from the West Coast. She's married to a man who was born here. <laughs> so she's partly ours. Yeah. Um, but beyond those claims where we want to be able to say, ah, she's from the South Island, she's incredibly talented. She sort of burst onto the scene, didn't she? Um, all of a sudden, there was this young woman who had blitzed it. She had won the fiction prize at the Ockham just before lockdown really she came into our world like Matariki she is intriguing and I'm hoping that she'll be able to tell us lots about her beautiful book but also about what she's up to now and about herself so rather than me talk about you I've already said you're from Nelson. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the growing up, the who you are, where you grew up, who you grew up with, so that we can place you? This, this introduction. Um, and big mahi to, to you, Marki and Ray, kia ora. Um, and mahi to mana whenua and also this whole room. This is beautiful. Thank you for all being here. And thank you for inviting me here, everyone who was part of that. <laughs> so I was born in, I was born in Nelson. <laughs> um, close to here, but yeah. <laughs> um, that's a, such a broad question, but I'll get okay. there. I will get there. No, yep. no that's a good all question. Right. Um, <clears throat> I was raised in Waimangaroa mostly, so um, Waimangaroa is about 15k north of Westport mm -hmm. and went to Waimangaroa school, um, 
and uh, I was brought up with my two older sisters and my younger brother um, and my mum and dad and my dad's fisherman and my mum is uh, and he's um, he's kaitahu um, though he's of the time where if you didn't pass as Māori looking it was less likely that you were going to um, claim that so I'm more um, of the, because of my sisters who were very strongly um, about your Māori, if you're Māori, you're Māori. And so they really instilled that in me as a, from a young age. So um, that was, that was, yeah, a gift from them, really. Um, and uh, so my my whakapapa is to Rakiura and um, so Murihiku mostly and I do have some, I'm learning about some whakapapa to the Chatham Islands as well um, and yeah I went to Buller High School and I met my husband there, <laughs> yeah, the Blenheim one. Yeah, the yeah. Blenheim one, that's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, um, can I just... For people, Rakiora is Stewart Island. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I found that you, it, I, I read somewhere you said, I fuck a papa Māori. Yeah. So that means what to you, that you, and you've just told us about where you link to. Um, but when I read your personal essay about mana, you also talked just about the mana of ancestors and and strong people passing that down to you. And I know I wasn't going to do this to the end, but it feels like the time to ask you about that. About my... About that, that you talked about your sister's spoon feeding you, mm. mana. Mm. Yes. Yeah. You talked about there's two types of mana. Mana that you're born with and then the mana that people give to you. Mm. Is that the right interpretation of that? I think that's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I, I mean, uh, yes, yeah, that is, yeah. yeah. Um, and my, my sisters are older than me, so they were, um, they were also like extra mums. Um, so, and they, they, they still do spoon feed me that mana, you know, they're just, are just precious, precious people, um, and and having had three mums in the house was was a beautiful thing. So um, I did gain a lot of money from that. I remember. Um, so this is one moment where I exerted my my the money from my my sisters was at school because my my husband's name is Manawatu. I'm a Wixen, so that's T.O. from, that, uh, and yeah, I have, I'm not going to actually list my last names, I was almost about to, but I won't, <laughs> but um, when I was at primary school, um, I said to, a teacher asked me, where's Wixen, what's, what's, what's your name, Wixen, where's that from, and I said, oh, it's Māori. And she was like, mm, I don't think it is. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's, it's got to be because I'm Māori, so my last name must be. And she said, oh, okay, dear. And, and I was like, she's, she's arguing with me. And I was really staunchly trying to tell her that she must be wrong. And then I went home and 
I was gently told that, you know, and I, I mean, I'm aware now that there's no X in the Māori language, yeah. but <laughs> on that day, I thought that there might have been a little, you know, but this is the type of, um, that's a little example of how they made me feel about who I was. Yeah. And that's really interesting in terms of the book because what you've talked about is this beautiful family and that whakapapa mm-hmm. and, and the strength of that love and support mm-hmm. um, and the mana. So, um, but I'm going to hold that because I want to know how you got to the book. There you are, out of Buller High School, in love with your boy. And then what happened? How did you become a writer, Becky? What happened? Um, I loved writing from when I was very young, so it's kind of a cliché. It's not an interesting story in that sense because I just I started writing really young. I was always trying to make novels in 1B4s, um, little, those little exercise books, and I'd name them... And then that'd be a that'd be a novel when it was all filled, all the pages were filled. That was a new novel, and <laughs> um, I have still some many of these. And um, I then I my husband and I we moved up to Hawkes Bay, and I got a job. I, I left high school with little to show for my time there because I felt a little bit disengaged in the end. Um, but I still loved English, and I loved my English teacher. Um, and I, we moved up to Hawke's Bay and I worked in a seafood factory then, um, while my husband was playing, he was playing rugby for the Hawke's Bay Magpies. And then we moved to Taumaranui, um, and I ended up working at the supermarket as a lotto, um, on the lotto counter. And I was still writing bits and pieces, but I had sort of, stopped a little bit. I, my son was born when we moved to Tomaranui. And um, and I worked on my dad's boat for a while when he was scampi fishing. I was a cook on the boat. And then we moved overseas for a while with Tim's rugby. And that was when I started really writing because I was very homesick. Yeah. And I was... I was able then to process a few things that I was a bit sad about and also wanting to um, to reach towards. I think that's part of novel writing is you're working towards something that you miss or, yeah, perhaps. Can you define that? What was it that you were working towards? Um, well... Like I say that I was very strongly sure that I was Māori when I was I was young, but then there was a period of my life where I realised that out in the world that's not what people think I am. So I I just could be just a white, you know, just a Pākehā. So I just went along with that kind of. But then I felt sad about it. Mm. And so you started writing away in Not that that's Germany. bad, you know, like it's, yeah. good, it's, okay, it's okay to be <laughs> just a parkia. I didn't mean it yeah, like that. It's all right. We've got a whole lot of white privilege that stops <laughs> us feeling uncomfortable with that. But, but 
Beautiful to be back here. Yeah. <laughs> we know. <laughs> so the book. Let's talk about the book. So the book started in Germany from these feelings of wanting to explore these things. Mm. So you had the story. So I suppose one of the things that occurs to me, is this a story of love or is it a story of grief or is it both? Oh, both, yeah. 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 It's a, it's, it is a, it's, it's both. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So you, did you finish it over there? No, no. I came, we came back to New Zealand and I got, um, I, we moved to Nelson first, and um, I started doing a course at the Marlborough, uh, Nelson Marlborough yep. Yep, Institute of Technology. And then um, I was working at a um, at the Spriggan Fern on Hardy Street, and that's kind of when I sort of almost finished it. And then I was working in Waimangaroa when we moved back there because um, we found that Nelson was actually quite expensive to live, so we moved back to live with my at my with my dad in Waimangaroa. And um, there, uh, I when we moved, I was I was um, unsure what I'd do for work in Westport. And then I went online and I found two jobs were going, and one was at Stockton driving trucks, which I would not be good at, <laughs> and one was at the news. Um, at the daily newspaper and I applied for that job even though I had no journalism experience but she decided to take me on because I was I was from there I had lots of contacts and she thought my writing was okay and she could work with it yeah and we got there yeah. In the end, I only got slapped sometimes <laughs> I, I, I read it said that you covered community news, crime mm. and Court reporting. Yes. In the end, I got to, um, so I started off with human interest pieces and then I, mo- I eventually managed to have a weekly um, profile piece I was writing. Um, so that would be a local person and I, I loved doing that. Like I'd get to really find out a lot about one local person and write a story and the people, people loved reading about that and, and the news hadn't had, it, had something like that for a while. And then I started to have to do some of the other stuff. She didn't actually enjoy the court reporting very much. And Westport, I n- usually knew someone in there. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bit sad. So there's a difference between being a reporter and, and writing fiction. Mm. Um, and and what is that for you? What, it, how, does, how did that change? Did it help? It the helped. Fiction, it helped. Yeah. Um, I don't think I can do it full-time like I was at that point because more more about the physical side of what writing requires you to do, which is this for long periods of time. And if I don't move, then I can't write. So um, I couldn't go home after a day um, writing and then go and write much, you know, work on a novel as well. So only that physical side means that it's difficult to do both, I think. So this is intriguing. What do you mean move? So you have to physically walk about, yeah. run, kinny kinny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like um, I think when I was um, working at the bar and mm. I was running back from the kitchen and 
Um, I found that really good for my writing, working kind of in a way that my, yeah, just in a kind of, diff, it's just so different. So you, you're moving all day and then you're excited. Your mind's been able to do its own thing while you've been basketing chips or whatever and then you feel like you can go and you really want to go home and write. Yeah, that's what I think. So you complete the book Mm -hmm. and quite quickly you've won the Ockham. I mean, it's it's within months really, isn't it, Mm -hmm. of the book being released. Um, What was that like for you? I mean, it was like, yeah, I, I was so surprised, and and I mean, I, we were at home because it was locked down, and at Waimangaroa at my at dad's house, and we're all in the lounge watching Stacey Morrison's on the screen, and then she says, "Oh, where's one?" And I'm, my husband jumps out of his chair and he races towards me, and my dad's sitting on the chair. He's a bit slower to get up, and he goes to get to me first. And it was like this alpha male thing going on. <laughs> Who's going to claim her first? And, but my husband's a rugby player, so he didn't tackle. <laughs> yeah. He didn't have to tackle, he just pushed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so did it, what changed? What happened then? Um, you're still in lockdown, so you're yeah. still at home. Yeah, so I, I nothing, I mean, I was just... I, we went and bought a washing machine the next day because it had broken down. Mm. I mean, just, yeah, it was, it's, the change was, has been slower, like being invited to things like this. Um, and, yeah, in the community I've found of Māori writers as well. And then I go to, I come to events like this and, I end up, you know, meeting people and going to see a band last night. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think these little opportunities so, to meet new people has yeah. been really... I mean, you were described as your people because you're um, West Coast mm. and because you're a Māori writer, people are talking about you as the new Kerry Hong. Hugh. Do you do you how does that how do you stand alongside that, or even more interestingly, Ellen Duff? Um, I think that I have absolute respect for all. I don't. I ha, I I think Ellen Duff's um, an incredible writer. I think Kerry Holm is an incredible writer, and I I feel proud to be among. Okay. to be part of our writing community. I mean, even when we're going a bit not great, we're still working to writers, I feel, and this was a big theme of last night, about reading and writing being about empathy. You know, we're still, that's where we're working. So we're all wanting to do this. So we're a community. I don't feel like I'm the new anything. I'm yeah. part of something. Yeah, I heard it somewhere it said that you were part of the new wave. Mm, yeah. And I thought, what is the wave? Yeah. How, do, how does it look? What I, is it? I, I find that 
I, I'm just excited about there being more Māori writing being published. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited to be a, a little part of that, and I, I hope that there's more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when I was at high school, even though there was the possibility that Patricia Grace could have been something we were studying at school, it, it wasn't what we were studying. We were studying Pride and Prejudice, which I did like, but, you know, there's, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of other things, other books, great writers that we could be, and possibly we are now. I mean, this is a few years ago. <laughs> so the book... And um, I think we probably should talk about it. <laughs> um, as, as we said, it's a book about grief and it's a book about whakapapa um, and it's a thriller. Um, and at times it's extraordinarily surprising because it changes direction and does all sorts. Messes with your head, um, which is amazing. Um, but it's the story of these two boys. Mm. And... I would like you to tell me, let's just dive right in, let's talk about Arama and talk about Glenn Bowduggan. Can you tell everybody about their relationship and who Glenn Bowduggan is? So, yes, so Glenbow um, is my cousin. Um, he was murdered by his stepfather and when I was, Glenbow was... Um, 10 years old, and I was 11, and um, he he had lived with us for several years, and um, he was a best friend to me and a, a, a brother, mm-hmm. and his mother wasn't very well, um, and she... She needed to leave Glenbow with her stepfather. And in that time, um, yeah, he, he beat Glenbow and he died. And I, I think that's when I started to write about pain a bit more at that age because that was one of my... Um, that was between the two options of being extremely um, angry. Eventually, that's where I went to. I was I was very angry. My my um my mum gave me an axe, and I was um, using the axe out of a tree at the back of the house, and I was smashing the tree um, a lot. And she also gave me a book to write about Glenbow, and that was when I started to write about. <coughs> Um, yeah, pain. Um, but I mean, it's not my pain. It's not just my pain. So I feel like I just need to remember that even though I'm the one who tells this story, my voice will eventually stop shaking. (laughs) Sorry. Um, even though I'm the one who tells the story, you know, a lot of people were, oh, (laughs) will this stop? Um, affected badly you know yeah. you lose a child in a family and that family yeah. has changed weaver yeah i and i'm sorry that 
experience yeah. with that. No. But he's a beautiful child, Arama. Yeah. And he is such a hero. Mm. And that must be um, just trying to make you feel better. <laughs> because he is. He's an extraordinary little child with his plasters mm. and his managing his difficult life. Mm. Um, and But it's also kind of beautiful. Yeah. Um, and his love for his big brother. Yeah. And Arama is, you know, Glimbo um, is Pākehā. Mm. Um, Arama is Māori. Mm. Um, so the, yeah, but but they're, they are, Glimbo is very much within Arama. Right. Yeah. Just his gentleness and thoughtfulness and, um, you know, after I have this sad I've tried. I've, I've been trying to. When someone asks me about Glenbo and I get sad about it, I try and tell a little story about when we were young. So, um, one one time we were um, we were um, actually. I'll change which story I'm going to tell. I bought him felts for Christmas, and Santa Claus bought him felts for Christmas, and. Um, I saw the felts come out of his Santa sack and I said, oh, no, that's so sad. I got you felts. And he was like, he straight away went to, I just rem- remember this, which is, you know, it's only a tiny little thing. It's really nothing. But it, it's stuck in my memory of him going, no, Bex, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep a packet of felts at home and I'm going to take one to school. And he just immediately thought of that and he yeah. just wanted to make me feel better because I yeah. was... Yeah. Anyway, I just like to share a little story um, now because yeah, he was a he was a yeah, and you know, Arama, as I said, is a, this amazing little boy who has been sent to live with his his parents. You assume have died mm. because that, and he goes to live with his aunt, whose partner is. I don't think there's anything likable about him, really. No. I mean, he's just an extremely unpleasant man. And in a way, it's almost the threat of violence that is is omnipresent in all those scenes, mm. and he's protecting himself with plasters. Yes. Um, yeah. Which is also that magical thing of children with mm. plasters to yeah. make themselves feel better. Arama was very dear to me. I missed him when I finished writing. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to know, just for the future, what happens to him. <laughs> he's he's just doing he's he's doing outrageously amazing things out in the world. Good, yeah. I'm glad about. <laughs> and then there's Tokuri, and um, uh, it, I mean his name is a limit. Away Tokuri, mm. I mean, it, and obviously that is a choice that you've given him mm-hmm. a lament for his name. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's beautiful mm-hmm. and it's musical. Yes. Yeah. 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 And tell us about him, this poor 17. How old is he when he goes off? 17. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, Arama pines for Tokari. And, you know, I had reasons, you know, I was, I was homesick. I missed my family. And so I think that played into this longing for Arama to have his big brother back who's, strong and cool and, you know, muso and, um, and 
yeah, he's his rock and he misses him so much. And I just wanted to, and that's partly why the story's told in alternating first-person perspective, is because I just wanted to create this distance between them. Like, you just want them to be in the same chapter together mm. because, you know, it's always altern- alternating between mm. the two of them. And, yeah, so that um, – and, yeah, Tokiri, I also miss Tokiri too. Um, yeah, he, he – he's also out in the world doing – Outrageously amazing things. Yeah. <laughs> so I suppose we better chat about Jade. So she's really complex person because she um, is Tokiri's mother and she grows up in a gang home mm. that is loving, mm. which is weird um, and not what we expect um, in this bedroom that is that then becomes such a awful it transitions into such a dreadful place doesn't Mm. it Um, she's safe in this home in a a gang house which I mean that's but it's just a home and it's just her home and she's safe and happy there with her mum and dad even though there's difficulties there mm. for the mum and dad you know they're in a um, their lives are not easy because of the world we live in rather than it being because of themselves. Um, and it only becomes bad and dangerous and um, difficult for her once she loses the protection of those people. Yeah. Um, and an, another man more damaged is then. There's a lot of um, toxic masculinity within the book, mm. and so it's there's a lot of women who are at um, at the what's the word at the mercy of of the patriarchy, basically. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering. My first thought here was to ask about the essay. Um, about your sister. Um, your sister is married to a mongrel mob member and he read your book. Mm. Do you want to tell everybody about that? Um, yeah, he, he read my book and he liked it. and We talked and I got uh, my sister. I hadn't, because of my, yeah, I, it's, Um, I feel so distant from that one, <laughs> um, that essay, yeah, just because a lot has happened within that, you know, yeah. within that time, and it's amazing how how things change in a okay. in a short period, but not to say that I'm not going to answer, but it's, I'm just careful of being mindful of my, my family and not, you know, um, so let's change it a bit then. So when you were writing those gangs, because that's a really strong element in the book, mm. um, it's be, and, and it's scary, it's really scary, and it's hard to read. Mm. It's, I mean, it's one of those chapters that you just don't want to read, mm. um, and, but you do. Um, 
where did that come from? Was it just you thinking, I think I read somewhere where you said you thought about what that man might be like and what, and then you put it. Yeah, it was, you know, it was mostly about, the whole story is about that toxic masculinity and where it festers and where it becomes dangerous and it festers actually within Te Ao Pākehā mm. more so than Te Ao Māori because and that there were symbols to show that but you know a lot of people say oh, oh it's a book about people being destroyed by gang violence and I feel sad because that means that I've failed because yeah. What I wanted was it to be a book about what what um, how how the the society we live in now creates is more able to create isolation for women than it would if we lived with a more Maori worldview, you know, and yeah. more people were able to live in these. Yeah, thriving cat on that farm and doesn't just get mm. in the car and leave. Yeah, and yeah. even the a lot of the gang stuff is it, it is about the um, you know one of the um, one of the symbols of the of a problem was when a teacher comes in and decides that she would like she thinks that it's better if the um, Jade's mum and dad separate the room. And she thinks she knows better for Jade's mum and dad to do something that's more acceptable to her. And although her life wasn't perfect, that was a case where a Pākehā woman has come in and said that she knows better. Mm. And um, yeah, I think I think that was my that was my aim. Where I've failed, I'm trying again. Yeah. Know? I would have to say, though, that that scene is then followed by the tangi, and mm. for me that was incredibly beautiful and moving and funny almost as well with the song. Mm. But it, it, it is the most uh, nurturing and the way that Jade is, is not rehabilitated but, but just surrounded with love and support mm. in that moment. Yeah. Um, and that is truly there. You keep thinking, why did Jade survive all this? Mm -hmm. And it's because of love. Yeah. And yeah. and mana mm -hmm. of that beautiful woman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she is. She's precious. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I, I only didn't answer your other question very well is because my when I wrote that essay I was I was pining for my own sister. Yep. And it's been actually beautiful what's happened since then is that we have really spent a lot of time together. And and I think um, although I could have gone about it some other way, it was like a very big public announcement of my love for her. Yeah. And so, yeah, she's been down for, for Christmas with me and we're planning another trip. I'm going up to the sharing sheds to, to spend some time with her and she's going to show me her work yeah. yeah so that was only why I didn't answer that question well and I wish I could have sorry <laughs> it's all right um the whakapapa in the book 
I, I don't want to give it away if people are uh, because it is a story of mystery and and things aren't always as it seems and then there's a ghost. Is she a ghost? She is a ghost, mm-hmm. an actual ghost. Um, and all of those elements in it. Um, but what is also really present, and I'm interested in Rakiura, is the ocean, mm-hmm. the sea, um, and the coast. Yeah. Um, and I'm interested in why Kaikoura, why not the West Coast? Um, Kaikoura, <laughs> I think... So I lived in Kaikoura for a while. My husband's from Kaikoura. Um, he was born in Blenheim still, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. He, um, <laughs> We're claiming him. Yep, you can. Um, and he... And when he took me to Kaikoura the first time when we were about 17, I think, and I just I felt immediately in love with Kaikoura. Um, I have learned since that I, um, Kati Mamoi, were there. Um, so I fuck a pup. That's part of my fuck a is Kati Mamoi. And I wonder. I try and I try and tell myself this, but it could be just that Kaikoura is just a beautiful place. But also mm-hmm. that I feel felt very at home there. Yeah. Um, but that might be me trying to draw too much meaning, as writers do. But um, but I also feel like. Yeah, I felt at home there when I lived there. My kids were, we were, we lived there for um, almost two years, I think. Um, but also regular trips with Tim to, mm. um, to Kaikoura. And, and because my dad was, we were up uh, in Westport and there's no marae there, or there wasn't, there's um, now they have the Arahuda marae down near Greymouth. Mm. But um, so his marae was one of the first places I was, you know, more connected to. So, yeah, I think. Um, I'm really interested in the fishing boats Mm. Um, because obviously now that I know that your father was a fisherman Mm. as well, because for me, um, personally, and I know this is not about me, but I just want to ask you about it, I thought it was the best birth scene I've ever read in my life. Um, it was just ridiculously beautiful mm-hmm. and empowering and somehow drew on the ocean um, for this woman giving birth to this little mm-hmm. baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the trips down to Rakiura and, and the importance of that and that journeying out to sea mm-hmm. is that... I mean, it's an interesting thing, the difference between the ocean and the land mm. in your book. The sea, I mean, the sea is our, it's one of our life givers and it's where we get high from. It's just also, it's got such a energy that I missed as well when we were living in Germany because I was, we were living in Frankfurt, which is in the middle of, mm. yeah, landlocked. And I missed the sea and the smell of it. And every time we come home, I would, Go that one of the first places we would eventuate to was the Kaikoura coast, and um, I would look in the mirror afterwards, and and usually we'd arrive home in winter because that was when Tim's holiday time was, and I would still go and jump in the the ocean, and and I'd look in the mirror afterwards, and I'd see that it had taken a couple of years off my myself you know like I just felt like oh there I am again yeah yeah 
So I'm going to, because I'm really conscious of the time and I'm sure that the people have got questions, so I'm going to quickly leap in. We were talking earlier about the fact that you're currently in Dunedin mm. um, on a Burns Fellowship. And I said, what do you actually do when you're on a Burns Fellowship? Tell me about it. Oh, my God, I'm ruined for real life. <laughs> so ruined. It's like, um, yeah, I, I can do whatever I want. I'm not skiting, but um, it's really... You are a little bit. Uh, I know, I know. I'll rein it in, but um, I do work quite hard as well. Like, I write, um, I write every day. Um, I... Do you want, like, what? I'm just intrigued. I have this vision of you in a really freezing cold granite building with a little (laughs) desk sitting there. So my kids have come down with me. Right. We've um, got a little flat, which is quite near the uni, and um, uh, it's kind of in a student area, so it's really usually rented out to students. And so we have students above us, students below us, either side, They've got their beer pong set up all consistently, and um, and my son, who's seventeen, said they don't even know that a Karen has infiltrated the ranks. <laughs> 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 and I was like, I'm not going to call noise control on them, and I haven't. No, no, I haven't. They've been actually really good. I really, I really love living in that. You know. It's quite a contrast to going home to the West Coast. Yeah, 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 yes. No, but it's it's lovely, and I have, I'm only a walk away from the uni. The botanical garden, botanic gardens are right there. Um, possums get in our roof though, and they make quite a noise, mm-hmm. which is surprising because I've never heard that in the, on the coast. But yeah, mm. Dunedin. Yeah, it's cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So what are you writing? What's it, you know, what is it that you're doing? Um, so I'm writing a new novel, which is a sequel to Owe, um, but it's not going to have all of those characters. I'm actually, um, they, the main character that I'm revisiting at the moment is um, Auntie Cat. Oh, yeah. I just feel like she was in a place that was, um, so impossible for her to speak. So I want to give some power back to her, give her money back, and I'm finding a way to do that um, slowly. But I'm about um, like 90,000 words into the novel, so I've written lots, but that doesn't mean to say that it's all going to stay. Like that's been also a work of getting to – it was only about at 60,000 words that I thought that I might have a story – and then, yeah, so there'll be lots of cutting and there'll be lots of work still to do, but, yeah. So have you got a title? At the moment, um, I've got a title, which is Papahoa, which is the mountain range that was that's um, from Waimangaroa sort of to Mokahinui, which is near where I lived. Um, and she is coming over to the West Coast. Right. But that's all very... Um, uh, I'm, I'm, that's uncertain, and I don't know the the title's working title. That's okay. kind of a yeah. 
So when when do you think we're going to see them? Oh, I don't Come know. On. I need a timeline here. <laughs> um, I'm not. I, I yeah. Sorry. <laughs> All right, I have a thousand other questions for you, and I'm just going because I'm obsessed with it. I want to talk about your tattoo because uh, it's incredibly beautiful, and it very clearly defines you as Maori. Um, when you talked about people not seeing you as Maori, and I have to talk about Jade's tattoo as well because it's so they're incredibly beautiful. And I spoke earlier about the tangi scene when the um, mob guys arrive. You talk about their tattoos on their arms, and I think for a lot of us that's what we thought of as tattoos. Those I, I felt like they were coming to life, these growling, angry tattoos on their arm. Can you tell us about your beautiful tattoo? Mm. Um, yeah, so I... I I, me and my son got Tamoko together, which was really nice, and we had a woman called Rosie Edwards, who's an artist, and she um, she's done a lot of work for friends and family, and um, yeah, and I she's she's amazing. She's an amazing artist, actually, and she. We didn't have a plan, and I'm a Gemini, so I said to her, "I need something. I need to. I need something balanced." And so either both sides, which I have ended up not being balanced, but um, either both sides or. And she said, "I think we should go in in the middle." And I was like, "Yes, that's what I was thinking as well." And then she drew the work, and we we talked for a few hours beforehand about. Like Papa and about her, um, what was important to me, and we also talked about her life as well. And then she drew it on, and she said, "Do you want to see it before I do it?" And I said, "No, just do it." Did you? Yeah. Yeah, and she's done power in there, which is um, uh, for humility. She's also done some some um, markings for foot, bird footprints, which are a way for me to express that. When I work, I'm making a print on the so print on the page, but also on the world. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Mm. Now I've gone a bit long, so I, I <coughs> need to ask if anybody has got a question that they would like to ask Becky. Yes, Kate. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just going to <laughs> Did it, I, I went all over the place when I when I saw that there was no questions. I was like, "Wow, I covered it. I did well." <laughs> um, so yes, I um, I sent it off to lots of places, and I a couple of people gave me some some good feedback why they wouldn't publish it. Um, Makaro Press said that they. So you actually send off the first three chapters usually. Makaro Press said they'd like to read the whole thing. Um, and um, then they finished it and there was there were things that they they were unsure about. And so they said, could you work on this? I'm not going to tell you because I don't want to ruin magic, you know. I'm magic. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but it's not true. You know, you, you work really hard and you work with people and that's the... That's 
how you write a book. So they said, could you work on this? And I tried to do it really quickly so I could prove I was willing to work and I was willing to take on advice. And um, then I resent it the, and they had someone else read it because she'd already read it, so she didn't trust that she'd see it with fresh eyes. And then they said, I think we should, you should publish this. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, working, you've got to work hard and then hope that you... I did go into the office. That's one thing I did do. So they asked for the whole manuscript. She said, you could email it to me. I said, no, I'm in Wellington on this day. I'm going to bring it to you because I just wanted her to see me. Yeah. I think that might have helped. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I boiling usually does. <laughs> yeah. You've seen me, I'm a human. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, it was six years from when I started writing till it was published, yeah. So that was about two years of um, working on editing and stuff, yeah. 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 Which actually I found editing quite a cool process. It's quite creative and it's not just looking at little bits. It was like, yeah, it was a fun, creative thing. Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the things that made that easy was that I felt very like I intimately knew the whole family, like they were... I had no doubt in my mind of who, who, um, who was related to, to to who and how. You know, they were really very real to me. And so when I wrote, it wasn't that I had to be um, to, you know, is there a word? Um, I didn't have to overthink it or overwork it. It was just this is who they are, and I'm just going to write. So it's like. Um that's not when somebody was saying, you know, that they just develop their own, you can't make them do something. Yeah, doesn't. yeah. And it was just, it was firm in my mind who they were, so that just made it easier to write it. Is yeah. Yeah, I think, does that answer? Yeah. Cool, thank you. Um, can I, I've got a question, <laughs> um, just because it's a bit out of context, really, but um, I'm really interested in the use of te reo in the book um, because um, it's the first time that I have read uh, much in the way of New Zealand fiction where it is used effortlessly, is that the right word to say, or um, it's just part of the story. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about your own feelings towards your personal journey with Tereo? Yeah. Um, so my journey with Tereo is um, like really, it's precious to me, but it's very much that I just have kupu and a few phrases and a bit here and there and writing is a way for me to engage with feel in a way that um yeah that I enjoy and I but I I can't I can't I can't quote it all I can't speak to the I it's not fluent um it's something I've always wanted so you know I had um 
I used to try and translate my own stories. Yeah, yeah with the, the earliest dictionary. translation yes. of what was it? It was you just picked something I'd, little. I think. What did you translate when you were a child? Oh no, that's actually Philip Matthews had that wrong. But what I did do was I'd go and I'd try and write little poems or bits with using it, but using the language. But I would um, just swap out word for word, so it made no sense. So it was mm. just nonsensical. Um, and um, but and now I'm more um, I'm kinder to myself with where I am because actually my my journey is um, it's about so when I go to Wananga for I go away to a marae for a few days with my kids and you know I end up back in the beginners group over and over and over. But I don't care because I'm there and I'm with people and that's part of what the journey is about. It's not just about getting it all, getting it all in your, in your kiti and walking away with it. It's about something more than that. So, you know, I, I go to these um, classes or things and I meet people and that's – and I don't mean that as a cop-out, like I still want to get somewhere – but I'm also happy with that it's perhaps a process that goes on forever and ever and I'm constantly back at the beginning, you know. Yeah. That's very cool. Has anybody else got a question before I say to Becky thank you? Kia ora. Yeah. For your beautiful mahi um, and um, how much I have enjoyed being part of this um, and – I'm really looking forward to seeing your work, the next book, and finding out what happens to Kat. And thank you so much for such a beautiful, strong, powerful, and um, impressive story. Thank you. Thank you. And now is the opportunity for you. I forgot to say the housekeeping at the beginning, so I'm glad that there was, none of you had to leave. And um, I'm going to invite you to come out into the foyer, and Becky is going to be available to sign books for you. So please um, come through, Becky. Thank you. you get Thank to be you so much. That's right. That was beautiful. Yes, you're beautiful. Thanks. That was Becky Manawatu speaking to Jane Forrest Waghorn at the 2021 Marlborough Book Festival. A big thanks to all the writers who have supported the festival, as well as the audiences that attended in person or listened online. If you'd like to learn more about the event, head over to marlboroughbookfest.co.nz. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do recommend it to friends and family. Thanks for listening.